Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. I am your host, Chris Rawl. I feel like a broken record because I keep coming on Tuesday's show and saying, I think this is going to be the best week of sports that you can possibly get. And yet here we are again on this Tuesday, and I'm looking ahead and saying the PGA Championship is this weekend. The NHL Stanley Cup playoffs have entered into the second round. That's going to be full bore. The NBA conference finals are sitting there right in front of us. I don't know how we're going to get a better week. If you like the NBA draft lottery, that's happening too. I can't get too much into it. The point is there's sports upon sports upon sports, and that's not even including the regular season baseball that the very few perverse amongst us actually like. Now, I bring all that up because A, I'm going to be talking about stuff like that on the show, but B, I also have a newsletter that comes out on Wednesday morning that we'll discuss many of these things that I have mentioned. So if you have not already signed up for it, go and do it. I don't know what you're waiting on. Go to chrisrawl.com. There's a subscribe button. Click on it. Put your email address in. And then on Wednesday morning, there's going to be PGA stuff and NHL stuff and NBA stuff and probably football stuff because even though we're months away, I'm always thinking about football. So go do that. Let's get on to today's show because we had seven different Game 7s over this last weekend, and I want to talk about them, and I want to talk about the margins. I'll be honest, this last weekend was about as action-packed and as exhilarating as it can really get for an individual sports fan. I'm surprised I made it through, and amongst the seven different Game 7s that occurred in the NHL and the NBA, I didn't even have a team involved. My Colorado Avalanche were home. They had their feet up on the sofa, just watching, resting. Darcy Kemper's eyes getting better, waiting for the Blues to come around. Everybody else was in action. I bets out the wazoo. I have the emotional component of these bets are now tied into these teams. There's a lot of players that I want to watch. It's just, it's all the good stuff that you want as a sports fan. That was this last weekend. Probably going to continue with all the other things that are going on, but I want to take a pause. And I want to talk specifically about these seven games that occurred, five in the NHL and two in the NBA, because there were so many different things that represent A, what I like about sports, but B, what I like to point out as narratives start to arise and we start to move forward with a lot more solid opinions on players or teams based upon the outcome of some of these game sevens, because you know me and you know the way that I watch sports, and a lot of it is just based upon the margins, those little tiny little things that you forget after a little while, but they are the reason that your team wins or loses. A lot of those games, that was this. Sometimes there's the legacy-defining stuff. It's a little bit higher level and a lot easier to remember because it's just a superstar seizing control and saying, no, I'm the best player here, and I'm going to make sure that we win because I know I'm the best, and we have that. Some of the stuff that I want to get into. So there's so many things that occur over this weekend, and it kicks off on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Bruins, Hurricanes, that's the first game that goes down. And I always make note in a Game 7 hockey game about the first grade-A scoring chance because I'm obsessed with the margins in every sport. In hockey, it's <laughs> it almost blows your mind what these games come down to. When you get into an individual game setting and you say, we're tied at 3-3, we've been back and forth, however we got here, doesn't matter. We're now in one game that is going to decide the fate of our season. 
And those of you that watch hockey, you know that this sport can be really fickle and it's just bounces here, bounces there, referee calls here, referee calls there, puck hitting a post here, puck hitting a post there. And when it comes down to one game, it's the most maddening thing ever. It's the most exhilarating thing ever. It's all of the things rolled into one. And starting on that first grade A chance, my mind starts just churning through, okay, it's margin time. And in the Hurricanes-Bruins game, a game that the Hurricanes would go on to win, a game that they played better than Boston, and so they deserve to win. There's a chance for Taylor Hall on the Bruins about midway through the first period. It's the first just grade A chance. He's screaming down the ice, cross-ice pass. He's got top half of the net to shoot at. Antti Ranta's sliding. There's obviously room to shoot, but he ends up making a great, great, great save. I'm excited because I have the under in the Hurricanes, but at the same time, I go, whew, there's just... There's not a lot of difference between that puck going in and that puck going out. And luckily, you know, the Hurricanes go on to outplay the Bruins and the Bruins are probably sitting home going, eh, we just we didn't play as good as the Hurricanes. We don't have to sit and stew over just these random little things. Or maybe you do, because even in a game that you get outplayed in, you go, ah, if we just had a few bounces that went our way. The referees in that game, they were bizarre. The referees, I think, are bizarre in almost every hockey game in a game seven. Sometimes they're swallowing their whistles. Other time, as was the case in this game, when they would call a penalty, they'd feel bad. So they'd call one on the other team as matching minors for everybody. It's the Oprah meme where she's pointing out for you and you and you and you. It was very bizarre. But the sequence that defines the game for me, the sequence that actually defines the margins. If you want to understand what I'm talking about, I would say just go to the about the middle of the second period. It's the literal definition of the margins and how close this stuff can be just drastic swings in a game. Game seven, the Hurricanes are up by a goal. Boston's pressing. They come down. Oh, shot from the slot. Drills the post. Sometimes it happens. All of these game sevens that I watch had posts getting hit. That's the way of life in hockey. The margins can be literal inches. So Boston drills a post and right off of this post, less than 30 seconds, Carolina takes it down the other end. They're scrambling around. Max Domi gets it on the doorstep, puts it home. We're talking a 30-second span of game time that the swing goes from being one inch decides Boston not being in to Carolina's now in the back of the net. It's 3-1, and they're pretty much putting the game on ice until the very, very end. That's what can decide this stuff. Uh, You'll forget about it, you know, in years, five years down the road, I can even remember this game. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Carolina. Okay, is that weird series where the home team won every game and Carolina outplayed them game seven? Okay, great. But if you're on the wrong end of it or if you're on the right end of it, your memory will be better. And if you're a Carolina fan, you'll go, I'm glad that Max Domi, a depth player for this team that they acquired at the trade deadline for a, I can't remember what draft pick. It was like a fifth rounder. He has the game of his life in game seven. Chooses the right time to just say, oh, Yeah, uh, bottom six forward here, but I'm going to score my first two career playoff goals. My first two career playoff goals are going to be scored in this game, game seven. Two biggest things. Sometimes that's the margins. A bit player steps up and rather than your stars coming forward, it's just, oh, this is hockey and a third or fourth liner scored a couple goals. Great. I've had it work for and against me in game sevens. Whenever I'm watching this stuff, I'm always thinking back to Colorado Avalanche past stuff because as a fan of that team, I'm very, very, very hyper aware and my brain retains very minute details about playoff wins and playoff losses. That's just how it works. And I see a bit player like Max Domi have the game of his life and I go, you know what, that 
that is a sweet thing to have at your disposal because I remember 2001 Stanley Cup Finals Game 7. Everybody remembers Ray Bork hoisting the cup at the end. Nobody will remember, unless you're an Avalanche fan, who scored two of the three goals. It was Alex Tangay, young player at the time, who actually had a really good NHL career. But on that particular roster, he was just, he was a bit player. You know, he was young. He had some talent, but we didn't know what was going to happen. Alex Tangay scores the first two goals of that game. Comes screaming around the back of the net, rips it over Martin Broder's shoulder in the first period, then bangs home a rebound off a two-on-one break in the second period to put him up 2-0. I still remember that because this is how crazy hockey fans, their memory works. Works the other way too, when a bit player goes against you and it's just, it makes you feel even worse than if a star player just torches you, beats you in overtime, whatever it may be. In the moment, it hurts the exact same amount, but in retrospect, when the bit player is the one who torches you, I promise you it feels worse and worse and worse. Anytime an Avalanche fan hears the name Joel Kiviranta, their stomach just goes and they droop down and they walk around like Michael Bluth, super sad, shuffling their feet because that's the dude who was a bit player on Dallas Stars and two years ago scored the overtime game winner in game seven against Colorado to send them home. It's just life in the playoffs sometimes. Uh, you get beat by stars, you get beat by bit players, post goes for you, post goes against you, all that kind of stuff. The end of the game, it's a mad scramble in front of the net. It seems like almost every game seven is decided by something like that. I mean, the next game, Toronto and Tampa that occurred right after it was the same thing. Just one goal game, get the puck, everybody's scrambling. You don't know where it is. You don't know what's happening. You're just going, I hope that this... I hope that this goes our way. That's the feeling of watching a game seven in hockey. There's just so many margin plays that happen starting from that first chance to the first post to the first penalty call to the to who decides to step up. Is it your first liners? Is it your fourth liners? Is Does your third defensive pairing have the worst game of their life or the best? All that kind of stuff. Toronto against Tampa is a really good example of just uh, who is the defining player of this game, much like Max Domi in the Carolina game, you're going, wait, who scored the two goals for Tampa Bay? Nick Paul, which in a stunning twist, Nick Paul, depth player for Tampa Bay, also in, on the exact same day that Max Domi scored his first two career playoff goals in game seven, Nick Paul did the exact same thing. I think there were five times in the history of the NHL going into that day that that had occurred. And we had it twice on the same day. Nick Paul picks the perfect time to have the best game of his life. Scores two goals. Tampa buckles down, plays great defense. Vasilevsky comes and plays how Vasilevsky plays in game seven. He gives up one goal. He's awesome. He's big in net. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff that happened in that game. Mitch Marner drills a post. I'm sure Toronto fans are going to be sitting home thinking about that. Uh, if Tampa were to lose, Braden Point and get injured midway through that game. He tries to come back, can't. I mean, that's maybe their best forward at this point in time with Kutrov looking as injured as he's been. There's a Tavares no goal for Toronto that I promise you a lot of Maple Leafs fans are going to be sitting home thinking about because he scores and the refs are then waving it off and they call interference on Justin Hole. And it's just one of those things that maybe it is, maybe it isn't. If they allowed it to be a goal and it went to replay, maybe they allow it to stand, maybe they don't. It's just, it's the whims of a referee. All of this stuff goes into deciding a game seven. In this series in particular, I mean, it was sensational theater. It's the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs against a team that I believe is on the short list of cup contenders. They had to play in the first round because the NHL playoffs are just really corn dick and they don't understand how to structure it properly. But that's neither here nor there. 
what is here is a Toronto team that is now going home that I firmly believe, especially after watching the series, is one of the five best teams in the NHL this year. They have a plethora of playoff demons piled up to high as a mountain. Game seven collapses, up 3-1 last year against Montreal and collapse in that series. And they are going to be facing huge, huge questions about the nature of this team. The first one, the, the common one is just, can this team even win in the playoffs? I don't think that that's super fair. I think that this team is really good and I think they can. I think even in a loss, this series proved it. They were just as good as the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. And honestly, I think they probably played a little bit better in this series than Tampa did, even though they lost. But they're going to be sitting at home thinking about, A, the margins first and foremost and going, just that Marner post shot had gone in. What would we be thinking? We'd be in overtime. If that Tavares goal had been allowed to stand, what would we be thinking? We'd be in second round against Florida, prepping up for a, a series that'd be awesome. Instead, we're sitting here facing the same questions and having to make a call about the identity of this team and saying, do we want to run it back? Do we just trust that we've gotten some bad breaks and we've seen so much more every year from Marner and especially Austin Matthews, who's probably going to be the MVP of the league this year. And Jack Campbell, he's good in this series. He's good in game seven. And Morgan Riley and John Tavares started slow, but came on as the series went on. William Nylander looked freaking awesome all series long. There's a lot of bright spots to take away, but as these playoff losses pile up over years and years and years, things become a lot harder to just say, uh, run it back. It takes a, a very specific type of front office that trusts in their own vision. That's what's going to be happening with Toronto based upon the margins going wrong in this particular game. So that's the, that's the smaller stuff. That's the minutia. Uh, I really like it. I think it's fascinating just what can occur within a franchise or the way that we talk about a franchise based upon something like this. Nick Paul has the game of his life. Max Domi has the game of his life. Post goes for or against you. Other times, it's a lot more simple. It's just cut and dry. And you understand, oh, this is a superstar knocking on your door and saying, I'm here and I'm ready to kick everybody's ass. The first thing, the first person who really just encapsulated all of that was the Saturday night game after these two. It was Connor McDavid. He did it in game six. Connor McDavid is the best player in hockey, despite my Kel McCarr uh, slobbering that has occurred throughout this round. And actually, <laughs> I don't want to go all out, but just leave the door cracked open for Kale. Connor McDavid in this series, and specifically in Game 6 and Game 7, with his team backed up down 3-2, going back to L.A. for Game 6. McDavid has the game of his life, and Edmonton wins with a goal five minutes ago. Tyson Berry sends it back to Game 7. Whole mice, a lot of playoff demons, a lot of questions about the structure of this team, and those are a lot more valid because they don't have a great roster. They have two players who are world-class. One of them, Leon Dreisaitl, was playing with some sort of bum leg and did not look the same. So it was essentially McDavid as the star and a lot of stuff around him that I go, eh, take it or leave it. Against a Kings team that, no high-level stars, but just a really sound, young, up-and-coming hockey team. Game seven was the Connor McDavid show. It was... I said this after Kale McCarr's game two against Nashville, and I will echo it after McDavid's game seven against the Kings. You can't play better hockey as an individual player than McDavid played in that game. He was everywhere. He's playing 27 minutes as a forward. He's playing 23 of those at five on five. I mean, they're just saying you're going to play defenseman minutes, but you're playing at the forward position against a team that knows this is the only person we have to stop right now. 
and LA just, they were flummoxed because McDavid is the best player in the world. And sometimes a game seven is decided because the best player in the world steps up and sees it by the throat. That was McDavid. They win 2-0. He sets up Cody Cicci for the first goal. He closes it out in the third period with just an incredible individual effort where he draws a penalty on the play and then still scores despite that to put the game on ice with about four minutes or so to go. For the series, Connor McDavid, for all of you people who have questions about his ability to form in the playoffs, stuff that I've talked about in the past where I go, this is not a fair criticism of this particular player. This dude's awesome. Sometimes he's dragged down by his team. And that's the case sometimes in a team sport when you got a lot of forwards and a lot of defensemen and a goalie. But McDavid is just sensational. In the series, Edmonton scores 26 goals. McDavid's on the ice for 20 of them. McDavid, when he was on the ice in the series, the Oilers outchanced the LA Kings 68 to 24 in scoring chances. Just a complete drubbing when he was on the ice. Sometimes that's what a game seven is. Sometimes that's what a series. Uh, the best player in the world says, I'm taking over. Now that segues nicely into the second basketball game on Sunday. The most stunning result of the weekend for me in hockey or in basketball. Hockey, there's no result that can really stun me because I understand the nature of the sport. It's just chaos distilled down into ice and skates and sticks and pucks. Basketball is a lot more predictable. And there's usually a cadence that's you can kind of understand as a series starts to go along. And very rarely do we get to a game seven. And, and I think there's nothing that's on the table here. Uh, and with this particular game, there was one thing that I just thought, you know, I, I could see certain things happening, but it seems hard to imagine that the Mavericks and the Suns are playing game seven in Phoenix. Phoenix has been the best team throughout the course of this season. They've beaten the hell out of Dallas all three games in Phoenix. Seems hard to believe that Dallas could win this one going away. I could see a path to victory for Dallas. You know, Phoenix gets tight, whatever. What I didn't see was what occurred, uh, which was Luka Doncic doing what Connor McDavid did in the Oilers King series. And especially game seven. Luka said, oh, this Phoenix team, a lot of great players out here. Oh, sure. Mikael Bridges trying to guard me. Devin Booker over there. Chris Paul over here. DeAndre Ayton over there. A lot of good players. But I am easily the best player on this court. That's what he was. Uh, as a person who gets down on Luca for some of his on-court antics, never once have I ever questioned his ability to play basketball. But even with that, I just thought, it seems like too uphill of a climb. I had this conversation on the golf course earlier in the day. Just like, ah, Luca is the best player in the series. I, I feel very comfortable saying that going into game seven. However, it's a team sport still, and it's just hard to envision a scenario where Phoenix is not the better team in this game at home. Luca in the first half, scored 27 points. That was as much as the Phoenix Suns themselves scored as a team. That is an astounding stat. They were up 30 points at the half. It was a complete ass-kicking. Again, stunning. Completely stunning. But this particular Game 7, I'm not going to remember any margins. Uh, okay, after the game, they're saying Chris Paul, yeah, he had a quad injury. That kind of is what curtailed his play down the last five games of that series. Okay, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. I'm not really going to remember that. You can pick anything you want. Monty Williams coaching decisions, Devin Booker having an atrocious game, shooting 3-14. You can pick anything you want. What I'm taking away from this game and what everybody should take away from this game is not margins. It's just Luka Doncic taking over the game and kicking everybody's ass. It's one of those young superstar moments. If you think back to the Kel McCarr episode I recorded at the end of last week, and I talked about how there's always kind of these moments that occur 
within a player that you know is a star right now, but you're trying to understand what they will be moving forward. Where's their ceiling? What are they going to do with their career? Can we even put a cap on it? This is one of those moments. When you go on the road in a game seven and score as many points as the opposing team and your team wins that game as six and a half point underdogs by 30 plus points, that's a moment. That's something we're going to look back on in 10 years when Luca has presumably had one of the better careers we've ever seen in the NBA and go, yeah, that's probably the moment where everybody understood what was occurring here. The flip side of that is Chris Paul, who I'm not going to have a huge swing in opinion here, but it's also something that makes me think (laughs) what occurred over the last five games of this series and particularly in game seven. I'm never going to chastise a person for having a bad game seven. I'm never going to do that. Sometimes it occurs. Uh, Chris Paul, he had an atrocious game seven. He was minus 39 in that game. That's the worst plus minus in his entire career, regular season or playoffs. So you understand what type of game occurred here. It was just a non-factor. He was a non-factor the last five games of the series, if we're being honest. He scored in single digits. I think he averaged, I want to say, a little over nine points per game in those five games which is crazy coming off of the first eight games of the playoffs, the six against the Pelicans and the first two games against Dallas when I'm ranting and raving and just salivating about how good Chris Paul looks presently as a late 30-year-old. And the last five games in game seven, he looked like a late 30-year-old, the traditional one. (laughs) And that's part of the Chris Paul story, this this quad stuff, uh, just trying to hold up in the grueling physical grind of the playoffs as a smaller point guard. That's just part of his legacy. As much as I hate that, It is. It's harder to stay afloat physically as the games get more physical and you're playing more consistently and teams are beating the hell out of you. That's just the fact of life within the playoffs of any sport. So now the Suns are going home. Uh, Chris Paul is going to have to answer more questions about this playoff stuff, most of which I do not believe are valid, but criticizing him for game seven and the last five games, it's valid. I mean, he just he didn't do what was needed in order for Phoenix to win. So the Mavs are moving on. Going to meet the Warriors, great. I want to make a quick note about regular season stuff because I came across a really interesting tweet from Matt Williams that I want to share because the tendency within the regular season is to just panic excessively over and over and over and over about everything. The sky's falling, the sky's falling, chicken little. And let's just read the tweet. Records entering the 2022 calendar year. Dallas Mavericks, 17 and 18. Boston Celtics, 17 and 19. Both were in the bottom half of the league in terms of win percentage as of January 1st. On Sunday, both won in game seven against last season's finals participants and clinched a spot in the conference finals. End quote. Just an interesting tidbit. Something to remember. It's not always smooth sailing and especially in a sport that has 82 regular season games, you're going to see some lulls from teams that are good. You're going to see some lulls from teams that are bad as well, but maybe pump the brakes sometimes when a team that has a collection of talent goes through a stretch that isn't great because maybe they're taking time to find footing. Maybe there's weird COVID stuff going on. Maybe they have injuries occurring. Maybe they just need time to gel. That's all. Now the Celtics, they're the other team there that were sub 500 going into the calendar year. They're also advancing the conference finals with a game seven win on Sunday against the Bucks. The Bucks are sitting at home thinking of margins and going, if Chris Middleton could have played in this series, we are confident we would have won. I assure you, every Bucks fan thinks that. The Celtics are sitting there going, you know what was cool? We chose the right game to go out of our minds from three-point range. 
The NBA, it's a make or miss league. We know that it's a cliche for a reason, but the Celtics set a game seven record with 22 made threes against Milwaukee. They win going away. It's a blowout, just like the Phoenix game. Grant Williams chooses the right time to have the game of his life. He's leading the charge. He's busting everything. He leads the team in shot attempts. Grant Williams, see Jason Tatum joking about that after the game. He's the player in game seven. Think back to Nick Paul. Think back to Max Domi. You're Milwaukee. You're also sitting at home going, how did Grant Williams have that game against us at that time? Now, even with all that stuff, the make or miss league, it's, <laughs> it's hard to be on the wrong side of. Uh, I can assure you if you're a Bucks fan, you're just going, how did they make 22 threes in that game? Think back to the Houston Rockets. It's the game I'll always reference for make or miss league. They stretched the Durant Warriors to game seven. Paul has the worst possible time to have a hamstring injury right at the end of game five as the Rockets are going up 3-2. They have two games to try and close this out. Chris Paul can't play in them. Okay, great. They lose against Golden State in Golden State, but they have game seven at home. They have the James Harden-centric offense that's going to create open threes for everybody. And you know what we like? The volatility of this three within one individual game because we know we have less talent than the Warriors. They have Durant. They have Curry. They have Draymond. They have Clay. But... We can neutralize that. We can equalize that. We can exceed that with the three-point shot. We have a game like the Celtics had against the Bucks, Bang home 22 threes. That's the equalizer. And instead, that game becomes the notorious 27 straight missed three-point attempts as the Rockets flame out. Uh, and it's just the perfect symbol of make or miss leak. Some days it goes for you. Some days it goes against you. You don't know when you're going to miss a bunch of wide open threes. The Utah Jazz do it all the time in the playoffs. I can't understand why. The Rockets chose the wrong time. Celtics chose the right time. Now they're moving on, right? There are two other Game 7s on Sunday in hockey that also really uh, kind of touched on stuff that I find to be fascinating. Two Game 7s, uh, Rangers, Penguins, and Flame Stars that went into overtime. You want to talk margins? <laughs> talk about overtime hockey in a game seven setting. You had to play seven full games and you still couldn't determine a winner. So now you're in overtime and you're just going, literally anything can happen in this and nobody will be surprised because that's the nature of playoff overtime hockey. Rangers win, Flames win. Their fans are sitting there going, oh, thank you. The other side's going, oh man. Now, as I was watching Flame Stars and Jake Ottinger was having... Well, he was having the series of his life going into this and he was having the game of his life in game seven because the Flames, they were just the better team. They were the better team throughout the series. They were easily the better team in game seven and it was still tied at twos going into overtime and they had to been sitting there. Their heads are just swirling and I'm sitting there going, if the Dallas Stars win this, I would be sick to my stomach as a Flames fan because just like the NBA is a make or miss league, the NHL can sometimes just be as simple as you ran into the wrong goalie at the wrong time. St. Louis Blues win a cup with Jordan Bennington as their goaltender a couple years ago because he just picked the right couple months to go out of his mind. Jake Ottinger in the series, he was insane. He had a 954 save percentage in this series. In game seven, he had a 955 save percentage. It's 60 some odd saves in the game. And if the Flames were to lose, they would just go, I don't... I don't even understand how to comprehend this. This is just the most unfair thing that could ever occur because this goalie was white hot and we could not get a puck past him when we needed to. In this game, game seven, that Calgary ends up winning, Johnny Gaudreau scores with four minutes or so to go in the first overtime period on a really 
a shot that didn't look like it was going to be available. Or Angle drills it over the shoulder. Of all the goals to let up, it was interesting that that was the one. But in this game, the Calgary Flames, this is according to Natural Satric, they had a 129 to 59 edge in shot attempts. That's, I, I mean, I don't know how I would look at a database and, and understand how that compares to other. I can't imagine that's ever happened in a playoff game. That seems I- impossible. And even within that discrepancy within one individual game, the entire narrative about this Flames team, can they win in the playoffs? Can Johnny Gaudreau perform? Is he too small? What's going on with this Kachuk, Lindholm, Gaudreau line? Why, how are the Flames going to blow this? Do we need to blow things up if they lose this series? What's going on? All of that stuff comes down to just, are we going to get goalied? Luckily, they weren't. They're moving on. They're going to play Edmonton. But you get the idea about how fickle some of these outcomes can be. The Stars, they deserve to, they deserve to lose that series well before Game 7. And yet they were in overtime, sitting there with a chance to win. If a puck bounces the right way in the first 15 minutes overtime, they're playing Edmonton and the Flames are sitting there going, I can't even fathom what just happened. Now, the Penguins are probably sitting at home feeling the same way because they blew a 3-1 series lead. They lost in game seven in overtime to the New York Rangers. They had a penalty call go against them in that overtime period that set up Artemi Panarin scoring on the power play to win. They had an unfortunate Sidney Crosby injury up 2-0 in game five, up 3-1 in the series. It looks like they're just going to coast. He gets drilled by Jacob Truba, leaves the game. Immediately, the Rangers storm back and score three goals in the next five minutes, win that game. Crosby does not play in game six. Rangers win that game. Crosby returns in game seven, along with Tristan Jari, their starting goaltender, who did not play at any point in that series until the seventh game, and they lose in overtime. You get how the margins can pile up, and you can sit there going, oh, when you're on the wrong side of it. The Rangers would feel the same way if they had lost. It's just the nature of the sport, and it's also the nature of game seven. It's just the way that it works. I want to share one tweet that pertains to this series before I wrap up, because the Pittsburgh Penguins have been one of the very best teams in hockey over the last decade and a half, and the core that they have is probably getting ready to break up. Notably, Crosby, Malkin, Latang. There's questions on the last two about whether or not they're going to be returning. A lot of people think at the very least Latang's going to be gone. But I came across this tweet from Rob Rossi. He's a, a beat writer for the Penguins for The Athletic. And he says, the same era that produced three cup wins, 16 playoff appearances, likely ends with five consecutive postseason series losses. That's the Crosby, Malkin, Latang core. Now, I bring that up to show just it's really hard to win first and foremost, but people who are really good can lose in the playoffs because sometimes the breaks of the game just go against you and vice versa. It's the nature of hockey. It's the nature of basketball. It's the nature of football. It's the nature of everything that when you get into a small sample size, especially distilled down to one game, whether that's the NFL playoffs or a game seven in basketball or hockey, sometimes things can just go against you for a while. Ask the Washington Capitals and Alex Ovechkin for a, a full decade. Everything went against them, and then they finally won a cup in a season that nobody thought they would. Penguins, they're the team of that era, as Washington's having all these just incredible playoff losses over and over and over that defy comprehension. They're getting goalie over and over against the Montreal Canadiens. It's just insane to comprehend. They're losing against the Penguins in these series that are really tight and hard fought, but just for whatever reason, they couldn't get over the edge. And now the end of this is still a lot of really good Pittsburgh teams for the last five years. 
I mean, this team this year, I believe, could have won the Cup. And instead, the last five years have all ended in first round postseason series losses. Wrong place, wrong time. You contributed some, and other times just the margins go against you. Winning is really hard. I can't stress this enough. (laughs) Sometimes your stars show up. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the margins go your way. Sometimes they don't. There's so much stuff. Uh, It's just the reoccurring theme of the Chris Rawl show. It's refs. It's injuries. It's hitting goalposts. It's whether or not you make your wide open threes. All of it. There's even more. I could go to infinity. All of it comprises who wins and who loses in an individual game. Game seven. So right now, seven teams going home because they were on the wrong side of things this year. Seven teams moving on because they were not. So we get to the next round where we watch and we live through the margins again because my friends, I promise you, this stuff never ends. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. You guys, I can't wait for this week. There's incredible golf. There's incredible hockey. There's incredible basketball. You need to go and sign up for my newsletter. I'm going to talk about all of it. It comes out every Wednesday. Go to chrisrawl.com. Click the subscribe button. Put your email address in. And on Wednesday morning, you're going to be getting stuff. So now go and enjoy the next few days. I'll be back to talk with you on Friday.